everyone, and welcome to Utility Safety In-Depth, where we take a deeper dive into topics recently covered in Incident Prevention Magazine. I'm Kate Wade, the editor of Incident Prevention and your host for this podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Steve Nash, who authored an article for the February-March 2021 issue of Incident Prevention about fire extinguisher use and safety for utility workers. Steve began his career in the fire and emergency medical services industry at the age of 16. After retiring in 2019 as a battalion chief, he currently serves as a peer supporter with the Ohio Association of Professional Firefighters and also continues to develop products through his company, Halcyon Products. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? Good. So happy to have you here. It's, it's good to be here. It's good to be seen today. <laughs> um, so I want to start off the podcast by asking you to give us some background about yourself. How did you get started in fire safety and where has it led you over the course of your career? Boy, you know, I've, I've been asked that a few times lately and it's just, it's just something that I was always meant to do. It's kind of crazy as uh, my earliest thoughts as a kid. It's just something I always wanted to do. I didn't have any family members that were in uh, the fire EMS industry, but uh, our local volunteer fire department, I knew some of the guys there and they wanted my dad to join. And um, I tried to goad him into that, but he wouldn't because he was too, too busy on, with the power company and too busy on the farm but I kind of kept my eye on these guys. And then uh, I think there are still some people out there that remember the old show Emergency with Johnny and Roy. That, that show, quite frankly, developed an entire generation of fire medics, if you will, over the next several decades. And it's astonishing to go back and watch that show now and just see how still relevant it is. And I was really fortunate to get on my volunteer department here as a cadet when I was 16. And, uh, worked with Chief Charlie Schumacher, who was instrumental in getting the paramedic program up and running here in the state of Ohio. Without him, we wouldn't have probably had uh, medics in our state for 10 years after that. So I was I was working with the first medics that came into the service in the state of Ohio back in the early 80s, which is, you know, really cool. And then once I had a taste of it, it, it was all bets are off, man. I, I tried engineering school originally, and that didn't work. I, I ended up going back to that, but I was just a, a young kid that wanted to drive fire trucks and help patch up busted people, basically. So <laughs> I guess that's probably more than you wanted to know. No, that's great. That's great. So will you tell me a little bit about what you're doing now? Uh, I, I know you're the, you, that you're retired. You retired as a battalion chief. Sure. So, uh, and, and I'm having to rephrase that because I'm still relatively young, thank God. Yes. And uh, so I left the fire EMS industry per se. I, I got out of the fast lane, if you will. It's a young person's job. And I'm in my mid-50s now. And it was it was really getting difficult to kind of keep up with the changes in the EMS industry. And I was, I was at the pinnacle of my career. And, um, you know, life just throws you some curveballs once in a while. And I had done almost 40 years. And I thought, boy, I'm, I've been very fortunate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exit here. And I'm going to go more to the the local lanes instead of the express lanes of this highway, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I'd started, helped start a company back in 2004 to try to help develop some ideas that I had in my head. I do have uh, one patent and a couple that are kind of batting around out there. And, you know, I've just been an idea guy that's wanted to tinker. So that's one lane that I'm in right now. And the other lane, as you mentioned in the intro, is um, the Ohio Association of Professional Firefighters. Uh, big into the peer support program, which is, um, you know, as I started to reach the exit of my, that part of my career, I realized that, boy, we've been doing a lot of things wrong for mental health, for uh, fire EMS workers. And, 
as I kind of unwound myself, I found myself being able to give back in certain situations. So we go to call outs throughout the state and sometimes across state lines when, you know, huge tragedy strikes. Uh, one of the bigger ones, call outs we were on was in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm in Ohio. I'm up around Cleveland. And um, they had a mass shooting uh, where six people perished a couple of years ago. And the following shift, we were in every fire station in that city to talk to those guys to make sure that they were processing the trauma that they saw correctly. So that's kind of kind of it in a nutshell. So that's Great. kind of where I'm at right now. And that's just a uh, that's been the last year. We'll see what the next year brings. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly been interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you write about in the article. So beyond OSHA and federal motor carrier uh, safety regulations, why is it a good practice for utility workers to keep a fire extinguisher in their vehicle and know how to use it? Uh, sure. You want It's kind of like the scouts. You want to be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. Um, it's just good training and education to have throughout life, no matter where you're at. You know, if you happen to be you know, back in the day when, when we'd go to the mall to shop or something like that, you might be pressed into action to use it or, you know, wherever your place of business is. And the one thing that, that I did was I always tried to make sure that folks were taking the training that we were giving them, uh, usually on the job, to take it back home with them. Um, but in the car, you, you, you tend to, I think, get exposed to a lot more out there. It's just, you know, the highways are just crazy places. And I think most of us have seen some pretty nasty accidents, you know, driving down the highway. And uh, a lot of times these cars are made nowadays to crumple basically around the patient, if you will, or the victim. And sometimes you can't get them out. Sometimes it's best not to get them out if there is no fire. But if there is a fire, you want to be able to, you know, help protect them and, and hopefully get them out of the vehicle. And that's one thing that I, I really want to emphasize is that, you know, this is mostly about life safety. This is not so much about vehicle or, or machinery safety, if you will. You know, we can always build new cars. We can always build new machines. We can't replace people. So that's kind of, that was one of the things that I really got into toward the end of my actual fire career, even on house fires, if you will. If we knew all the occupants were out, it just became a stuff fire. It just, it really, it just, our, our anxiety levels came down. We knew that there was no life safety involved. Um, so I, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but it's just important to, to really get your listeners to realize that it's, it really is mostly about life safety and not uh, stuff safety, if you will. Well, and I think that's why you mentioned um, also, in addition to having an extinguisher in your vehicle, also having like a seatbelt cutter. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I ever really gave it much thought until as I opened that article, uh, the police officer, and it was only, that incident was only maybe five miles from where I'm, I'm sitting right now. Um, he, you know, I don't know all of the details specifically, but I know that he was trapped in a burning vehicle and had someone, you know, had the right extinguisher and or seatbelt cutter, it's quite possibly the outcome could have been a lot more favorable. And that really started to open my eyes that, you know, and I remembered accidents that I had been on one specifically, it was on a highway and the car was upside down and I had to climb in and there was a helicopter landing to transport this patient on the other side of the vehicle. And I had to reach up and try to find the button to get her out. And I'm like, just somebody give me a seatbelt cutter. It's just something so simple like that. So yeah, it's it, like I said, you know, it's kind of like the scouts just kind of, kind of be prepared and, uh, and take the, what you learn on the road and your, and in your business back to your, your family and your homes and, and help, you know, spread the word there too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question or not. It does. It does. Okay. Um, so let's talk about a couple of different types of extinguishers that you mentioned in the article. You talk about ABC extinguishers, 
Class D extinguishers and carbon dioxide extinguishers. Can you talk a little bit more about the different types of fires these are used for and what most people are going to encounter if they're, you know, come upon a vehicle fire? Sure. If they come upon a vehicle fire, I'll start there. It's, it's really, cars are just like, like the modern home these days, a lot of synthetics. Um, if you think back to at least my grandparents, you know, anything in their house was made of cotton or wool and a, water would generally put out a fire. Nowadays, everything is synthetic. So you need a, a supercharged type of extinguisher, if you will. And that's where the uh, dry chemical ABC comes in. And, and when I would do uh, extinguisher demos um, at the fire department for companies in town, I would try to phrase it as, think of the ABC as A is, you know, anything that leaves ashes, like, uh, you know, wood or paper. They're what you're, you call ordinary combustibles. That, that, mm-hmm. that gets a little wonky nowadays with the synthetics, but that's still a general rule. So A, something that would leave ashes. B, um, a, a burning liquid fire or a boiling liquid fire, because most liquids that are flammable or combustible, it's not really the liquids that burn, it's the vapors coming off of them. So we would use the term boiling liquid. So there's the B and the A and the B. C, we would call it charged electrical, anything that has current running to it, from it, around it. Uh, if you take away that charge, it generally becomes a class A or class B fire. So that might be a little more than you know most people want to know, but a dry chemical extinguisher, it will show you on the on the canister, you know, if it's good for A, B, and C fires. Uh, the B and C, the the, uh, the carbon dioxide unit that I mentioned, like I said, it's usually more in an industrial setting uh, for specific, uh, like a burn pan area, something that might have quenching oil, something where you can actually contain the gas that's going to come off of the, uh, out of the, the cowbell type cylinder, as I call it. Um, so the, to go back to the ABC, what that does is it will actually interrupt the chemical chain reaction within the fire. Um, the, the carbon dioxide smothers the fire by taking away the oxygen on it. Okay. Um, so that's how the, 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 the uh, dry chem works. That's how the uh, carbon dioxide works. And then the class D, uh, class D is in David. Um, combustible metals, and, and really that's that's more left for a specific class from probably an extinguisher company to go over, and usually those are metals that are found in industrial settings, and the folks ought to know what they're dealing with, those types of metals that have specific extinguishers and specific application methods too, probably more than we want to get into on the podcast here today. Okay. Well, thank, thank you for those explanations. <laughs> sure. Um, so what kind of training does the typical fire extinguisher user need to operate the tool correctly and effectively? Is it something that you recommend for utility workers? Like, should the utilities reach out to their local fire department? Um, what's the best way to get them training? I think the best way is absolutely for uh, local industry to contact their local fire departments or fire marshals, fire inspectors to see what kind of training may be available. In all the departments I've ever been with over the years and seen, especially in my region and state, um, departments were more than happy to, to help out. Uh, generally, it's, it's a two-way street. Usually when we would go in to do a, uh, an extinguisher demo at one of our bigger companies, we would take a tour of their facility. So it's a two-way street. You know, We're learning about what they're doing, and we get our folks inside the building to see you know, how that facility operates, where their hazards are ahead of time in case that, you know, something bad does go, and then we give them the training as we're there. So that's probably, I, I would say, definitely the best bet. Um, 
Yeah. And also if fire inspectors come in usually on an annual basis to ask them as they're coming through, you know, kind of put them on the spot a little bit because they love to come in and put you, I did that for years. I can kind of joke <laughs> about that. Um, ask them, you know, the inspectors when they come in for your annual fire inspection, you know, what, what's, what's, you know, available locally, basically. And it, and it does give the, <clears throat> excuse me, firefighters, you know, the opportunity to see folks in a, in a relatively calm setting, if you will. Cause usually when they're calling us, it's their worst day and things, you know, from their perspective, it's just, it's all white noise, man. They don't know what happened, how it happened, when it happened. You know, for us, we're doing that five, six, 10, 15 times a day. And it's, there's definitely a, 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 an incongruity, if you will, of, of mental status there. So if we come in in a, in a more calm situation, it's better. So yeah, as far as training goes, that's your number one bet. Uh, I'd like to also mention that the NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, and the USFA, United States Fire Administration, uh, both have good resources, you know, on their websites that that one can reach out and just just to kind of read over stuff if, you know, if they don't, if folks don't want to go through a, a big training type program, it, it's really not that difficult. But if you can get actual hands-on live fire training, that's probably best, I'd say. Um, so let's say you're a utility worker who's on the way to or from a job. You see a vehicle fire on the side of the road. If you want to assist in that emergency, what kind of hazards do you need to be aware of? And also to kind of add on to that question, how can you determine if the fire is too big to handle with the extinguisher that you have? Okay, sure. So again, that goes back to the original training. You know, hopefully folks will have trained on an extinguisher before they actually have to use it. Um, and also to go back to the beginning of our conversation, if if a person is to pull up on an incident, always, always, always life safety is first. If you if you can if you can pull over and help out safely, do so. But if you can't, let's say you're three lanes over on the highway and you're doing 65 miles an hour, you know, don't cause a chain reaction accident behind you to try to get over to help somebody. And I've been in that situation too, where you know I'm a trained fire medic basically, and I want to get over there, but I know that I'm going to make the situation even worse. So just at that point, make sure that the first responders are notified, number one. So let's say you are fortunate enough to, to be able to pull over. Life safety is number one. It just, oh boy, it just makes the hair on the back of my neck stick up every time I see drivers on the highway these days. Um, folks are not looking out for you or for the other folks that are either in the accident or the car fire going on right there. You have to be looking out for them because they just you know, everybody's in a big hurry these days, and I don't mean to get on people, but boy, oh boy, it gets kind of crazy out there. And unfortunately, we see on the news quite often where, you know, Department of Transportation workers are getting hit by cars, firefighters, police officers getting hit by cars. So when you see uh, fire trucks kind of blocking lanes, there's a reason for that. And again, it goes back to the life safety. We can always replace a fire truck. We can't replace a firefighter. You just can't. So if if you come upon a scene, you may want to consider blocking whatever lane that is with your car, getting your four-way hazards on. If you have emergency flashers, absolutely use them. You, you know, put a little space between your vehicle and whatever the incident is. Make sure you, you're going to have to have eyes in the back of your head watching the oncoming traffic, watching traffic coming from the other direction. Um, you know, if there is a fire, you know, hit it hard, hit it fast. If it's in the engine compartment, um, you might have one pull on a... Um, a hood latch release. And then after that, usually it burns through. Don't reach your hand underneath there, but you might be able to get a nozzle underneath the side to get an engine fire out. And an engine fire is usually 
you can hit that pretty well with a um, with an extinguisher. A uh, fully involved car fire, you're probably not going to do much with an extinguisher. Now, if they're, you know, try to verify that everybody's out. Usually the, the driver operator will be out and just verify with them. Ask them more than once. Ask them twice. You know, is there anybody else in there? Is there anybody else in there? Make sure that you understand what they're saying. Make sure they understand what you're saying. Um, you can you can still hit a fully involved car fire with uh, an extinguisher to try to knock it down. Uh, important things to remember to try to keep the wind to your back if you can. You okay. don't want to be taking in any of this smoke because it is so synthetic charged. And like I said in the article, a lot of hydrogen cyanide comes off of these things. And that's what we're finding out that, you know, a lot of firefighters get in trouble even after a fire is put out in a building, let's say. A lot of this stuff is still off-gassing, and it's just not anything you want to get one whiff of. And that's I, I cringe sometimes when I see police officers getting in there before we do, trying to you know save the day. And I and I applaud them for trying, but boy, oh boy, guys, stand back a little bit. Don't don't be breathing that stuff in. It's just not worth it. Uh, running fuel fires if a gas line is broken, you have to be careful for the lay of the land. If the car, whatever incident you're coming up to, is is on a hillside or something. If it's if something's not running under your feet yet, it may very well be soon. So you don't want to be standing in its pathway. You have to look out for uh, exploding tires, which are they'll really get your attention. It's like a giant balloon popping, basically. And when they get heated, they'll go. And usually, there's not much damage um, peripherally that happens from them, but it'll startle you. Now, the things that will do damage are, are the um, cylinders and uh, the posts for airbags, cylinders under the hood latch um, to help raise the hood. There are cylinders behind uh, bumpers that are pressurized that may heat and go off. So if you don't have to be standing right next to a vehicle, boy, get away from it. Just stay away from it is, is the best idea, actually. And And one thing also... I really impress upon people and I tell this to my kids and all of their college friends, you know, if your car breaks down, really consider getting on the other side of a guardrail. We're away from the traffic, you know, use that guardrail to your advantage because that will stop a lot of carnage from happening. So again, I kind of go way down that rabbit hole when you give me some freedom, Kate. <laughs> I like your rabbit hole, Steve. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned in the article was about trying to make sure that you don't, if your car is on fire, your trailer, whatever it happens to be, that you don't stop under power lines, under bridges, or on top of bridges. Have you had experience with those types of incidents? Uh, yes. Yes. I've seen uh, bridges that have been damaged by both accidents and fire that just, boy, that, that really messes up the whole infrastructure of whatever region you're in for quite a while because... When metal becomes annealed like that, it basically has to be taken out of service until it can be tested and or fixed. Um, so you want to try to not park, you know, under an overpass, if you will, because the heat's going to rise from a fire and it could bend warp, uh, really mess up the bridge above it. Um, and on a bridge, you know, if, if you have to stop, you have to stop where, you, where you're at. That's just all there is to it. But if you can get it off a bridge or underneath, you know, not under an overpass, that's a good thing. Um, on bridges, kind of the same thing, you know, there's a lot of metal under there. So if it's a, a tractor trailer fire and it's going to be burning for quite a while, boy, if you can get it off of there, that, that is, you know, helpful. Uh, be mindful of sewer grates and running fuel fires into those sewer grates. There was a really 
crazy training video back in the day. I think it was down in the Carolinas where a tanker truck rolled over in a city, caught fire, and they had manhole fires for blocks and blocks and blocks. Wow. And the fuel was just, it was running every direction, catching buildings on fire. And I, and I remembered that and it really stuck with me throughout my career. And I did everything I could do to try to stop stuff from going down sewer drains. Uh, and as far as the power lines go, yeah, you don't, you don't want to turn, you know, one tragedy into two because electricity just does crazy things and it doesn't take much heat for a, uh, for a wire to burn through. So you don't want to park underneath those, those items if you can at all avoid it. Uh, so to close out today's podcast, do you have any final words of wisdom to share with our listeners based on your decades of experience with fire and fire safety? How many hours do you have? Huh? Just kidding. <laughs> um, if you can't put fire out, just stay away. Just stay away from it. Um, wisdom nuggets. I, I kind of want to circle back around to not only have a, you know, try to have an extinguisher in your vehicle, but have a, the Red Cross has really good information on what types of um, kits you can you can put together in your vehicle in our region I, I believe you're in illinois i'm in ohio we've got well we had about a two feet of snow outside here recently and you know people get stranded in cars once in a while um so make sure that you're prepared for that make sure you have enough fuel you know if you're going to be stranded somewhere um i think they say run you can run the engine five minutes out of every 15 minutes if you're trapped in a car make sure that your tailpipe is free of uh free of snow so that the, the fumes are going elsewhere. Um, other nuggets. Yeah. T try to take your safety home. Um, th that that's what I always tried to get across to folks. Like I said before, make sure that you have at least one smoke alarm on every level of your home. Make sure that you have at least one carbon monoxide detector, usually around your sleeping areas. A lot of folks think that it should go in your utility room. That's really not the best place you want it close by where it's going to wake you up or your kids. Um, here's one that a lot of folks don't realize. Uh, sleep with your doors closed because doors can hold back a ton of fire. It, it's, it's incredible how much fire a door can hold back and give you time to escape if you need to. Um, have an exit plan. Do, do fire drills in the home with your other family members, roommates, kids. Uh, that's, it's a big thing to go over. Um, you know, safety rules at home, basically have two ways out of every room. If you can make sure you have a meeting spot. I remember I, my kids, they were raised in a, in a ranch style home. So everybody was on the first floor. And I remember <laughs> my kids, they, they're so twisted right now because of how the way I raised them. I actually, my daughter was looking at the window. She's probably six years old. She's like, dad, I can't get out there. So I actually took her outside very gently and very kindly. And I, and I had her hang by her fingertips from the windowsill. And her feet were only about six inches from the ground at that yeah. point. I said, okay, now go ahead and drop. And she was like, hey, wow, that was actually kind of fun. So try to make it fun if you can, you know, little things like that. So any, anything you learn on, you know, on the job, on the road, you know, try to take it home and share with your family. Um, that's, that was always kind of a big thing with me. So I guess those are my nuggets of wisdom, <laughs> if they are. I think so. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Steve. Sure. As a reminder to our listeners, Steve's article is now available in the February-March issue of Incident Prevention Magazine, which can be accessed online at incident-prevention.com. Until next time, stay safe and be well. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Utility Business Media and its employees. 
It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation. Thank you.